0: Lord, I just thank you for our time of worship, God. Truly, we serve a great God. You're amazing in all your ways, God. And we thank you today for visiting us in our time of worship, God. And now as we get into your word, God, I pray that you would allow it to touch the recesses of our heart, Lord God. That you would allow it, Lord God, to examine our hearts, Lord God. And anything that displeases you, God, that you would allow us, Lord God, to give it to you, God. So in this time, I pray that you would be with your servant, God. You would hide me behind the cross as I preach your word today, God, that you would be seen and that you would be known through all of it. In Jesus' name, amen. Micah 7, 1 through 6. Woe is me, for I have become as when the summer fruit has gathered, as when the grapes have been gleaned. There is no cluster to eat, no first ripe fig that my soul desires. The godly has perished from the earth, and there is no one upright among mankind. They all lie in wait for blood, and each one hunts the other with a net. Their hands are on what is evil to do it well. The prince and the judge ask for a bribe. The great man utters the evil desires of his soul. Thus they weave it together. The best of them is like a brier. The most upright of them is like a thorn hedge. The day of your watchman of your punishment has come. Now their confusion is at hand. Put no trust in a neighbor. Have no confidence in a friend. Guard the doors of your mouth from her who lies in your arms. From the sons, threat the father with content. The daughters rise up against her mother, the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemy are the men of his own house. You know, over the last few weeks, we've heard Justin speak about a country of profit where our main focus is wealth and not people. About the day of the Lord, a day when repentance and the changing of heart is necessary. And finally, about the golden rule where our pride is our downfall. And right now we're in the midst of a presidential election that has the country torn between two political parties. We have racial tensions that continue to add further division to our country. And lastly, we're eight months into a pandemic. And honestly, we have no clue when it's going to end. Your 2020 is bugged. And today I'm going to be speaking from the book of Micah. Now, my name is John, and for those of you who don't know me, and those of you who do, I have a son that's named Micah as well. Now, if this book was written about my son, it would look a lot different. All you would hear about is Beyblades, Mario, Mario Kart, Avengers, and Legos. There would be nothing bad inside of it, because everything would have to do with all the fun things he likes to do. But unfortunately, this book is not about my son. It's about Israel. See, Micah was a prophet, and he was born in the border town of Jerusalem. At this time, Israel and Jerusalem were committing grave idolatry against God. They had erected balls and Asher poles throughout Israel and Judah. They even used the temple of God as a place of worship. Within the temple, they had these prostitutes that they would use in worship to their gods. God wasn't having it. He wasn't happy. Micah was called to proclaim judgment against Israel. Though Israel and Judah were deep in sin against God, they experienced great prosperity in this time. Yet all of this was out of cost. See, the book of Micah is a series of judgments against Israel and Judah, followed by promises of hope and restoration for a remnant of the people of Israel. Today in Micah, we're going to look through a few passages of how self-absorption, self-gratification leads us to idol worship and how God is calling us to refocus our lives on him and him alone. When we focus our lives on ourselves, we orient our lives around all the things that give us pleasure. The fame, the sex, anything that feeds our sinful nature, we gravitate to that. But when we have a life that's surrendered to Christ, we do things that bring him praise. We live with justice, we do merciful things, and we live humble lives before God. Like I was just saying, we're in some really turbulent times. This pandemic came out of nowhere. The racial divide, the election, those things, they've existed for a long time. And as I read through Micah, I couldn't help but see the similarities between our country and Israel. The leaders were obsessed with power and wealth. They were oppressive and set an example of worshiping idols. Their example allowed Israel as a nation to participate in corporate idol worship. Now let's look at the text to see how Micah spoke to the people of Israel about this. In Micah 1.5, he says, All this is for the transgression of Jacob and for the sins of the house of Israel. Who is the transgression of Jacob? Is it not Samaria? And what is the high place of Judah? Is it not Jerusalem? Therefore, I will make Samaria a heap in the open country, a place of planting vineyards, and I will pour down her stones into the valley and uncover her foundations. All her carved images shall be beaten to pieces All her wages shall be burned with fire and all her idols. I will lay waste from the feet of a prostitute. She gathered them and the, and to the feet of a prostitute, they shall return. They built all these altars and made all these images inside the place of worship where God was, they worshiped these other gods. They gave them their time, their money, even their body, sleeping with temple prostitutes, they were gratifying themselves in worship to these idols. They broke God's first commandment to have no other gods before him. In our country today, we have pretty much done the same thing. We've given ourselves over to the worship of idols, of power, of sex, of money, and of self. Justin spoke about this in week one. We're a country of profit where the treatment of others in God's creation doesn't matter anymore. The only thing that matters is profit we would like to think it's just the evil corporations that do these things but Justin showed us all of this lies within all our own hearts how many times have you said to yourself i know i've said it to myself what do i need what do i need to do to ca- climb the corporate ladder who do i have to step on what shortcuts do i have to take anything to get the prize at the end and this ideology of power of money sex It's all indoctrinated into our schools, into our entertainment, into social media. It's everywhere. It blitzkriegs us at all times. Let me just share a story real quick. I saw this firsthand at my old company. Uh, My previous boss, he wanted to climb the corporate ladder of success. Every one of his employees became less valuable to him and nothing we did was ever good enough. When someone on the team did something that was actually good, he would take the work, bring it to the superiors and claim it as his own. Soon enough, he got exactly what he wanted. He got the accolades. He got the pay raise. He got the title change, everything he desired. He got, and he would make promises to every one of his employees. I'm going to take you up with me. He promised them raises. He promised them all the things that people wanted to hear. But soon enough, everyone realized his words were empty. Some revolted, but most of them, like me, just walked away. See, my old boss always spoke to to us about how he idolized the rich and the powerful, like Steve Jobs and Jimmy Diamond. He wanted to be just like them and talked about his previous company and all that he did there to climb the ladder of success. See, he didn't come from a wealthy background and his parents pushed on him that wealth and prestige were the things that he needed to do. So when his sisters became doctors and his cousins became wealthy people, he pursued the same thing, thinking that was going to fulfill and gratify his life. But at the end, it did it. He had less friends and less people to hang out with. He was an empty person. His pursuit of success wasn't evil. His desire for a better life for him and his family, it wasn't wrong. His means of getting there were, because it led him to put himself above others, to treat people horribly, and to spend all of his time, energy, and affection on his career. Instead of doing this for his family, his language and vocabulary changed. Everything became about me, me, me. We have become a country and a people that are centered around ourselves. We're self-indulgent, constantly seeking how we can fulfill our own desires. One example of that is social media. We love to show people the life we want them to think we live instead of the life we actually live. You know, I have a friend who um him and his wife were going through a really tough time in their marriage. And on their social media page, you would never guess that. They took those those shots of them holding hands and hugging each other and those little quotes underneath that said, you're my world, babe. I love you all of those things. And every one of their friends and family knew that they weren't doing well. And when they saw those pictures, it was a facade. It was something that they wanted the world to see. They cared more about their perception to the outside world than they did about their own marriage. It was all a facade. It was all about themselves. It was all about making them look good to their friends and family. Breaks my heart that this is what we've come to as a society. See, we've built altars to self year after year and decade after decade. We're like the gambler who has a horrible hand playing poker, but yet he doubles down and pushes all his all his chips to the center of the table, thinking that if he puts more money on the table, it's gonna change his hand. We're fools if we think that that's gonna do anything. If we look at Romans 1, 22 and 23, God talks about these kind of people. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal men, birds, animals, and creeping things. And we can also look at Psalms 81, 11 to 13. But my people did not listen to my voice. Israel would not submit to me. So I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own counsels. Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. These two scriptures show us how God ultimately gives us what we want. If we continue to reject his call to repentance and restoration. God pursued his people with prophet after prophet. We've seen this week after week. Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Micah, Malachi. There's so many different prophets that God sent to his people and they rejected each and every one of their words. Instead, they paid prophets for false words to soothe their minds. Micah references this in chapter three, verse 11. He says, its heads give judgment for a bribe. Its priests teach for a price. Its prophets practice divination for money. Yet they lean on the Lord and say, is not the Lord in our midst? We continue to reject the call of repentance. And instead, we've believed the lies of false prophets. To name a few, the Sean Kings, the AOCs, the Candace Olsons the Charlie Kirks of this world. With the help of the interweb, The algorithm that Justin spoke about last week, their sermons, their propaganda, it gets pushed out and we consume it without a thought in our mind. It fits the narrative that we want to hear. So what do we do? We support them financially by giving to their causes. We praise them with our likes, with our hearts on on the gram, on Facebook. And we also recruit for them by reposting and retweeting everything that they put out. We are quick to open our wallets to support these groups and these individuals. Yet, when God calls us to support something that he wants to do in the church or through the church, they close. We have no problem reposting their propaganda, but we can't share the gospel with a single person. And then we get to this place where we're Asking God, what do you want from me? I go to church. I do my devotions in the morning. What do you want from me? We can answer this in Micah chapter 6. See, there's this courtroom scene that's set by Micah. And he lists out the indictment against the people of Israel. And then there's this one voice that speaks it's the defendant and he lists out his response for the indictment about idolatry and all that was wrong within Israel and Judah and he says in verse six and seven what shall I come before the Lord and bow and bow myself before God on high shall I come before him with burnt offerings with calves a year old with the Lord, will the Lord be pleased with a thousand rams, with 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transg- transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? To sum it up, the defendant is saying, God, you want too much. It's too hard. It's impossible for me to do. You know, I've uttered those same words in moments of sin and rebellion to God. I found myself at the end of my rope and I've uttered to God, you're asking too much of me. Haven't I give you everything already? What I considered my everything was the work of my hand, serving in the church, doing a hundred different things in the name of Jesus. And all these things that I've listed, I did on my own strength, in my own power. I was trying to earn my salvation and my place in the body. And God in his infinite grace and mercy, in those still small moments that he would whisper to me, he says, John, I didn't ask for all those things. I just want you, I just want you. It's simple, he just wants us. God's response in Micah chapter six, it's verse eight. It's been quoted so much lately and they've gotten it all wrong. He says, "Has he not told you, O man, what is good? And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God." You see, God clears it up. It's not a mystery what God is asking of you and of us. In every sense of what is being said there, what God requires of man, it's impossible for man to do. God man cannot do any of those things but because of Jesus it's no longer impossible see the spotless lamb of god he acquired and and grabbed the hold of all those things that god has required of man and he made it possible for us to live through him god exacted his justice on christ at the cross we see his kindness in that christ took our place and secured a place for us within the body. And lastly, Jesus showed us humility by laying down his own life on the cross. All these things are now attainable through the work of the Holy Spirit in us daily. So the first thing we're looking at is to do justice. What does justice mean? It means loving people the way that you would love yourself. Jesus clearly let us know the importance of this in Matthew 22, 36 and 40. But when the Sadducees heard he had silenced, the, when the Pharisees heard he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to, t- to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the law of the prophets. He was asked what is the greatest commandment and he linked it up with the love of God and the love of people. You cannot love God and hate or treat people poorly. The two go hand in hand. If you don't love people, then you don't truly love God. I cannot hate the president and say I love God. I cannot hate people of a particular race and say I love God. If I love God, then I love people because he loves people. For example, if you're working in a company that doesn't value people, they act in an unjust way, exploiting overseas workers, supporting organizations of hate, or have unfair practices, then you have to take a stand and speak up for change within the organization. If they don't change, then you have to leave. If you don't, you're co-signing on everything that company does. Now, hold on a second. I'm not saying to walk into work tomorrow and quit your job. Do the smart thing, find a new company if you can't change the company from within and find a place that you can work at that does practice justice. The next thing he asks us to do is to love kindness. We must love to show kindness in the same measure we've received it from Christ. So for example, Let's say you're coming to the holiday soon with your family. You may share different opinions or different views on topics. Let's talk about the election, right? You might get together with family and you're gonna talk about the election. How do you hold that conversation with them? Not just audibly, but in your heart. We are great at talking and hiding our true feelings but inside we are like this person's an idiot. They don't know anything. Kindness comes from a place of receiving. First, when you understand loving kindness that God has given you, we should be reciprocators of that kindness with everyone we meet, including our family members and friends. In our conversations, we should be speaking from love if we cannot agree, it's okay. It's not about winning an argument It's about sharing God's love and kindness with that person. I'm the first person to ask for forgiveness for this. I love to argue, I'm stubborn. I'll be relentless in trying to win an argument. And most of the time I lose the person I'm talking to. Either they pull away from our relationship or they refuse to speak to me about anything that might cause an argument ever again. So, I am continually asking God to help me to show his kindness. We've all been there. Today is a day that we can ask God to change us from the inside out. And the last one he mentions is to walk humbly with your God. We're called to view ourselves correctly in God. This means you're you're not better than the person sitting next to you, you're not better than Jeff Bezos. You're not better than the president. You're not better than the homeless man on the E train. You understand You understand. in it of yourself, there's nothing to boast about, but it is because of the grace, the kindness, and the love of God that you're accepted and saved. See, these th- these three things only come about from a life that's centered on Christ, devoted to worship him and him alone. We cannot do justice, love kindness, or walk humbly with God when we are worshiping idols that gratify ourselves. All of these attributes are in direct relation to who sits on the throne of our hearts. It's not a shared throne, it's either God's or it's yours. God made it clear to his people through Micah he would no longer allow them to self indulge in their idol worship, he would judge them and out of that judgment, they would be drawn back to him in time. As I get ready to close, I wish I had a keys player right now. So David St. Jean, wherever you are watching this, would you mind just playing those keys for me? I can feel them already. Michael was called by God to profess judgment on God's people. He called out specifically their idolatry, their falling away from God. Today, we need to hear the words of Micah's warning. We need to smash the idols in our lives. We need to repent and get back to a life centered on Christ, where he alone sits on the throne of our hearts. When he is on the throne and our life is centered on him, we become people who act justly, who love showing kindness, and who live humbly. Today, if you can be honest with yourself, maybe you do worship at the altar of some other God. Maybe it's money, maybe it's power, maybe it's fame, maybe it's sex. Maybe it's something I have not mentioned yet. But you can choose today who you're going to worship. You can choose today what you're going to let go of. See, Micah ends the book with speaking on the character of God. He says in Micah 7, 18-20, Who is a God like you, parting iniquity and passing over transgression? For the remnant of his inheritance, he does not retain his anger forever, but he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread on our, in- our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. Today, examine your heart. Does the king that sits on your heart resemble who Micah describes to close out the book? Or does the king that sits on your heart resemble a tyrant? If the king is a tyrant, then it's not Jesus Christ. Invite him to take his rightful place in your heart. Invite him back onto his throne. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word today, God. I thank you, Lord God, that you love us so much that you've given us warning after warning, Lord God. These last four weeks, Lord God, you've spoken to us and you've given us warning, Lord God, about our hearts, about the condition of who we are, Lord God. And I pray, Lord God, that we today, Lord God, would lay down every other idol in our life, Lord God. And God, that we would place you on the throne where you belong, God. We love you, Lord Jesus, and we invite you into the place that is your home. We want a life centered on you, God, that we can be the people of God that we're called to be. People who love doing justice, who love showing kindness, and who walk humbly before our God. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.